0: Theology of the Body Institute, this is
1: the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Hey,
0: everybody. We're good. We're good. (laughs) We are good. You're good, too. Everything is ontologically good. What I meant to say, we're glad. To be back <laughs> with you for another episode.
1: It, yes, we are. I actually have a great comment to share with you from one of you, one of our regular podcast listeners who uh, shared with us kind of a reflection that I thought would be interesting to everyone. Um, Hector said, my wife and I got married almost two years ago now. While- Congratulations, Hector yes. and your wife. Yes. While we were engaged, I bought us copies of Heaven's Song. We read each chapter together and went through the questions together, too.
0: Which is a book that I wrote, so uh, in case Song. those out there haven't heard of Heaven's Song, right. it's called Heaven's Song, Sexual Love as It Was Meant to Be, mm, yeah. and it's a reflection on John Paul II's uh, what have come to be known as the hidden addresses of his theology of the body because they weren't actually delivered in St. Peter's Square mm. because, uh, well, sorry, this is a bit of a long side, but... For the sake of context, uh, JP 2 uh, didn't deliver these texts on the Song of Songs, and when I got to meet with Cardinal Jeevish in 2008, who was John Paul II's private secretary, Mikhail Waldstein and I went to spend some time with him in Poland, and we asked him very eagerly, why did John Paul II not deliver these amazing texts on mm-hmm. the Song of Songs? And Jeevish said, because they were too delicate for a public audience, uh, in ter- not in terms of a public reading them, but delivering them at a, at a public audience with uh, young ears, presence, et cetera. They are very delicate, intimate reflections on the erotic love poetry of the Song of Songs. All that for context. This is what Hector's talking about. Okay, sorry to interrupt, my love. Keep going.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, back to Hector. Yes, back to Hector. (laughs) Yes, he said, uh, reading and going through this book together was such a great blessing for us. We were always very open with each other about our past relationships, Mm. our desire to live a Christian courtship, engagement, and marriage. This book, I cannot stress it enough, was a great supplement for our preparation for marriage. I feel that many of your listeners would benefit from it.
0: Oh, thank you, Hector, for sharing that. It's always great to get encouraging words like that. This is why we do what we do yeah. at the Theology of the Body Institute for people like Hector and his wife. Yeah. Yeah, that's so encouraging. Thank well, you, Hector.
1: Speaking of what you do at the Theology of the Body Institute, is there more you can tell us about what's going on?
0: Yeah, we have some exciting news. For For several weeks, I've been hinting here and there on the podcast that we have some fun new stuff coming for our patrons. Mm-hmm. And I just want to give a shout out right now to all our listeners out there of this podcast who are also patrons of the Theology of the Body Institute. Thank you, thank you so much for your monthly support. We could not do what we do here at the Institute without you guys. Really, the the patron community is is the backbone of of uh, what enables us to do what we do, funding our, our missionary outreach. We're so, so grateful. And just to show our gratitude to all our patrons, we have updated the website and the offerings for our patron community, and we'll have that link in the show notes, tobpatron.com. So thank you, thank you, everybody out there who is a patron. If you aren't a patron and you are blessed by what we do here at the TOB Institute and want to support what we do, uh, this is one of the best ways you can, can help us to continue our mission. So click the link there to learn more, and Check out all the exciting things that we do for our patrons, the ongoing formation, the videos we offer. There's, I used to do these little, I call them my video journal mm-hmm. entries, where I just pick up my iPhone and say hey to everybody and share a little reflection. Yeah. There, I think I recorded nearly 400 of those videos, mm-hmm. and they're getting now archived on the patron community for our patrons to watch and listen mm-hmm. to. And we have a whole host of audio talks, uh, on there as well, and a couple video courses, other great benefits for our patrons. So check that out. And we'll also put a link in the show notes since Hector mentioned it to the Heaven Songbook. So mm-hmm. in case people are interested in that, you can learn more about that in the show notes. Sounds great. Shall I jump in with yeah, a question? let's then? do it.
1: This is from Thomas. He says, I've really felt God speaking to me through this podcast. It has been such a wealth of knowledge and wisdom. I am 24 years old and am currently in a serious relationship. My girlfriend is amazing.
0: Awesome. <laughs> I like that he said that. Yes. He says, Thomas, you're amazing too, just so you know.
1: <laughs> he says, we've been reading Love and Responsibility. Mm, good
0: one. Good one. Mm-hmm.
1: I've been growing in chastity over this past year. It has been such a journey that I can only thank God for the grace he's given me. But I found myself doubting the purpose of the male body. Women seem to have an easier time controlling their thoughts and bodies when it comes to physical desire and sensuality. As a man, it has always been hard. I still get thoughts which I try not to entertain. Is there a purpose to these? Can you give some encouragement mm-hmm. and advice mm-hmm. for men like me trying their best to practice chastity, to not fall into self disgust and feelings of uselessness? Mm-hmm. How can my sensual desires be a gift rather than a hindrance?
0: Okay, so, Wendy, I want you to hold me accountable here to some of these things I'm hearing him say. Uh, bring me back to the self-disgust yeah. and, and the—was uh, there something about pointlessness? or yep. mm-hmm. Yeah, so bring me back to—if I, if I go off down a rabbit trail, <laughs> which I'm
1: inclined to do <laughs> on will. occasion, okay. bring
0: me back to those points. Yes. Um, first of all, for listeners who aren't familiar with the book Love and Responsibility— it is Karol Wojtyla's first book that came out in the early '60s. Karol Wojtyla is the future St. John Paul II, and it was a, a philosophical reflection on human love, especially mm-hmm. specifically erotic love, the love of of man and woman. And man, did that raise eyebrows when this Polish kol- prelate, kol- Polish Polish prelate. Uh, came out with this book saying that it's an act of virtue for husbands to learn how to contain their own climax in order to bring their wives to climax with them bishops did not talk about these things mm. and the fact that this polish bishop was willing to do so was was remarkable at the time and this polish bishop later became pope and gave us theology of the body so love and responsibility is really the philosophical foundation of his later work theology of the body. Mm -hmm. It's not easy reading, uh, but it is well, well worth the effort it repays for those who dive into it. So Thomas, here's to you for diving into uh, was love and responsibility.
1: Yeah, and just your openness to grace in general. Even your question is like God's making a space for more grace Mm. in your life
0: right now, Mm. and it's beautiful. Yeah, he raises so many important questions. I just want to ask the Holy Spirit to come and guide my words because I could just dip into my files as my... This is what I typically say when people answer <laughs> it, But I don't want to just dip into my files and give typical answers. I want to really, Thomas, I want to try to speak to your heart. Mm-hmm. So Holy Spirit, help me to speak to Thomas's heart. Here's what I, I, comes to me immediately. Where the Holy Spirit is, there is freedom. Thomas, you are called to freedom, brother, and that freedom is given to us as the power to love. What you are experiencing is nothing other than your fallen humanity fighting against that call to freedom, and it is a battle. I've been in this battle uh, my whole life, of course, but consciously and with, with intention, I've been in this battle for 33 years. Is that right? Am I doing my math right? Something like that. 32 or 33 years, like I have been taking this battle mm-hmm. seriously. And just this morning, just this morning in my prayer journal, <laughs> I was just sick of the battle. Mm. And and I was just complaining to the Lord, Lord, it's it's just, I just need a rest from the battle. It's a battle to be human. It's a battle not to cave in to one's fallen thoughts and fallen inclinations. Mm. And the temptation there is, you know, we have lust on the one hand, but we have another capital sin, which is called sloth. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was experiencing this morning, I believe, that sloth, the best definition I've heard of it is the sadness that we feel because the good is difficult. Mm. And the good Thomas that you are called to is indeed difficult. And it will be a battle until the day you die, and maybe even after. (laughs) If we don't go through all the battles we're called to, we have other battles to fight on the other side in purgatory. But it is worth fighting. And I can say, as a man who's been in the battle for 33 years, I can look back and see a trail of uh, disappointments and, and falls... Uh, which are real and painful, but I can also look back and see victories, new freedoms, new experiences. And this is where we overcome the temptations, some of which I think you're experiencing here, Thomas, towards despair, towards disgust at yourself, at your masculinity. Can you read that again, Wendy, where he says uh, something about Mm -hmm. um, a a despondency about being a man or something?
1: Can you give some encouragement and advice for men like me, trying their best to practice chastity, to not fall into self-disgust and yeah, feelings yeah. of uselessness? Okay, there it
0: is. Self-disgust and feelings of uselessness. And that was brought in in light of a question about—he's um, had at the beginning something about the—I'm the, beginning to wonder whether there's any real meaning here. Doubting the purpose. Doubting the purpose. Doubting the purpose. <laughs> All right. Are you ready, Thomas? You ready for this one? <laughs> Why does Thomas have testicles? A little alliteration there. Thomas has testicles to testify to the eternal fatherhood of God. The very word testicles. The very word shares the same roots as words like testify, testimony, testament. What is the Old Testament about? What is the New Testament about? It's all about the revelation of the eternal fatherhood of God. Thomas, you and I have the privilege as men, we have the privilege of learning what it means to image the love of the Father in and through our bodies by giving testimony in and through our bodies. The ultimate testimony, the ultimate bodily testimony of the eternal fatherhood of God came through the eternal Son of God's body when he said to his bride, this is my body given up for you. That is the testimony in and through the body of Christ to the eternal fatherhood of God. And here's our call. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, here's where we face the battle. We are in a battle Thomas, precisely because of how purposeful and meaningful and literally potent our bodies are as men. There is an enemy who doesn't want us to give testimony to the eternal fatherhood of God. John Paul II, in his marvelous book, Crossing the Threshold of Hope, says, this is truly the key for interpreting reality. Okay, what's truly the key for interpreting reality? Then he says, original sin attempts to abolish fatherhood. Mm. This is the battle we are facing. John Paul II says, the battle for the truth of our sexuality takes us to the very center of the struggle between good and evil, between life and death, between love and all that is opposed to love. And Thomas, you're feeling it. And I say to you, brother to brother, keep going. Keep going. The freedom that is there held out for us, if we would stay the journey in the battle. And this means, this is almost counterintuitive to the way we understand masculinity in our fallen world, We have this this kind of uh, machismo understanding of, I can do it. I'm going to go be a chaste man, for example. Uh, No, you can't do it, Thomas. Our freedom comes not by a striving and a self-reliant pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. The freedom for which Christ has set us free. That same freedom that I began with by saying, where the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom and the freedom that you desire, Thomas. What freedom? The freedom to love as you're called to love as a man. The freedom to to rejoice in being a man. The freedom to rejoice in the the beauty of woman. The freedom to rejoice in the glory, the goodness, God's plan for our sexuality. That freedom comes not by self-reliant effort. That freedom comes by total surrender to a power that does not originate in us. It comes from a posture of open receptivity to a gift. I would say to you, Thomas, what you are facing in this cry of your heart that you've put into this question, you are facing your poverty. You you know, th- there's this question men, men always want to ask uh, themselves and, and answer. Do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? John Eldridge Really, really unfolds this in his work. Men have this burning question, do I have what it takes? And I want to say the only honest answer to that question, it's paradoxical, the, question, the answer to the question, because the only honest question, the only honest answer to that honest question is no. I, in my own self-reliant effort, I do not have what it takes. But where's the paradox? The moment you admit, I don't have what it takes, now you have what it takes. Mm. Because that's what it takes to be a man, to admit your poverty. As we open our poverty, we come to realize our poverty is the shape, if you will, of God's riches. Our poverty is the shape of God's riches. And I'm going to hold out to you, Thomas, what you're going to begin to experience as you live from that open poverty, that poverty that is open to God's riches. I'm going to call you, Thomas, to renounce the sin of self reliance. And there's a twin sin with self reliance. And I know this because my confessor has told me I need to confess these two sins every time I go to confession. The twin towers of sin in almost every man's life self reliance and then self-condemnation when our self-reliance doesn't show itself to be reliant. We say, I'm going to go do it, and then we fail in doing it, and then we beat the crap out of ourselves mm. in our failures. I think I'm sensing that's kind of where you are, Thomas, and I'm going I'm to call you to confess a root sin here, be even this, before the sin of lust. I think the sin here is self-reliance mm. and then self-condemnation. Open that poverty that you cannot do what you're called to do, and let God's grace come into it. St. Augustine says, the law was given so that grace might be sought, and grace was given so that the law might be fulfilled. That's the posture. The law makes me realize I can't do what I'm called to do. I don't have it in me. And as soon as you admit you don't have it in you, now you have it in you, because now your poverty is open to God's grace, and grace is given so that we can fulfill the law. And fulfilling the law means the freedom to love as we're called to love in and through our bodies. I've put a lot out there, and I, I could go on and on and on, but I, I know there's there's something that you want to share, Wendy, so I want to pass the mic off to you.
1: Thank you. First of all, you did a great job. You came around to the things that were on your heart at the beginning of the question good, good. to address. So I'm so glad um I'm glad Thomas as I said earlier asked this question and even before asking the question already the Holy Spirit's been at work creating this, you know, awareness of an emptiness that needs to be yes. filled with truth. You know, there's there's some lies coming against his masculinity as he's looking at the struggle, the lie is you're actually bad.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's a lie, big, big, big lie.
1: And so I think that recognition, like this is causing me suffering, this is causing me to feel disgust even, just I think that very reaction indicates what a heart for the good you have and a desire to align yourself with the good. And so my heart is just saying to you and to your amazing girlfriend um, that you are a gift and the Lord is gonna speak to you and show you how these incredible powers of your body connect to the heart of your masculinity and enable you to form a powerful, meaningful, enriching bond with the woman you're called to give yourself Mm -hmm. to enable you to overcome so many difficulties because of the power that is contained and redeemed by God in your body. So God bless you, Thomas.
0: Thomas, in a a marvelous book written by a former professor of mine who was a longtime friend of John Paul II, Stanislaw Griegel is his name, and we'll put a a link in the show notes to this book uh, on uh, the human person according to John Paul II, that's not the exact title, but that's what it, it deals with. He says, if we're merely averting our gaze in times of temptation, if we're merely averting our gaze... We are shutting down the journey on which we are called to be purified in our vision so that we can come to see rightly. When Jesus says, if you even look lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart, he's not saying, therefore stare at the sidewalk for the rest of your life. He's saying exactly what I've been trying to unfold, or at least, you know, I don't want to claim I have the exact insight on what Christ is saying here, but I do want to say that I know what Christ was saying in the Sermon on the Mount includes this, a recognition of our poverty, our inability to see as we're called to see, and in that is the the invitation to cry out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. I want to see. I want to see. In the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is talking about lust, Again, he's not saying, avert your eyes for the rest of your life. He's saying, let me teach you how to see. Let me open your eyes so that you can see the mega mystery, the great mystery St. Paul talks about in Ephesians 5, so that we can come to see our sexuality, our very being as male and female, and the call of the two to become one flesh. This is a great mystery, a mega mystery, St. Paul says, and it refers to Christ and the church. Really and truly, it is holy. It reveals the holy. It tells the divine story. And I know you feel stuck there, Thomas. Cry out in your poverty, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. I want to see. Make that your prayer. That's my prayer for you, brother, that that would become your prayer, because I know the Lord will answer that prayer in your life.
1: Amen. And there's another question here that relates to masculinity and femininity. So it's kind of interesting that another listener, you know, had a similar okay. related thing on mm-hmm.
0: her.
1: This is a woman. It's a question from Katie. Hey, Katie. Katie says, I'm wondering if you could explain this quote I read from St. Edith Stein. Okay. The relationship of soul and body is not completely similar in man and woman. With woman, the soul's union with the body is naturally more intimately emphasized. Woman's soul is present and lives more intensely in all parts of the body and is inwardly affected by that which happens to the body. Mm.
0: Fascinating. I I loved studying Edith Stein in my graduate work, and I've dipped back into her on occasion over the last 20 plus years. And she's so rich, so rich. I this is just my best guess. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I can't say I have a a definite answer to what she's getting at. But my sense of it, Katie, is that Edith Stein is talking about, on this side of the fall, the, the integration of body and soul in some ways, and that's, I think, an important qualifier, is in some ways a more readily experienced reality for the woman and i think i think in some ways that is true and i do see wendy you're saying this is related to the previous question mm-hmm. did you notice in thomas's the previous question from thomas that he almost hinted at this thought that women have it a little easier yeah. here can you mm-hmm. can you go back to thomas's oh, question sure. on that how did he put that
1: yeah uh, he said that women seem to have an easier time controlling their thoughts and bodies when it comes to physical desire and sensuality.
0: Okay, I don't... I, I, again, in a, in some sense, I think that is true. We got to watch out that we don't fall for the the illusion that women are not also just as fallen as men are. Mm-hmm. But there's something about the female body that I would say lends itself more towards that posture of poverty that we were talking about before. I mean, quite literally, a woman has an empty space that she knows is meant to be filled with life that doesn't come from her. Mm -hmm. That is the proclamation of the human condition. And this is why John Paul II says, woman is the model and the archetype of the whole human race. Woman shows all of us what it means to be human. Uh, Woman's very body, her womb, this empty space that is meant to be filled with life, is an icon of the human condition before God. Uh, What is that that void that we feel, that emptiness? We are meant to be filled with all the fullness of God. This is St. Paul's words in the letter to the Ephesians. We are called to be filled with all the fullness of God. Okay, here's the connection between the womb and that truth of the human heart for both men and women, for both women and men is what I meant to say. The womb was literally, in Mary, the womb was literally filled with all the fullness of God. So what do we have there? We have the icon of the destiny of the human heart to be filled with all the fullness of God. Because this profound truth is written into the very being of a woman, I believe she finds it in a certain sense easier in the journey of reintegration. This is what Christianity is. It is the journey of the reintegration of body and soul. Men, I would say, in a certain sense have a more difficult time getting in touch with that empty space. Look at our anatomy. We have this seed to give, to plant, uh, to, to offer, to pour out. Uh, and that can lead to the illusion in a man that I can do it. I got, I got it. I got <laughs> it, right? And I think you, these questions are very much related, Wendy, as you pointed out at the start. I I hope I'm giving some food for thought here for Katie. I I don't know that I'm getting at the crux of it, but I'm trying to just put my finger on a little aspect of it. Yes,
1: and I I felt that too, as even sharing this question from Katie, that we don't know the context of where St. Edith Stein was saying these things. Mm -hmm. And so we we can hear the words and kind of with our sense of who St. Edith Stein is, her time in which she lived, the types of things she reflected on, you know, maybe some of what, John Paul II would later write about speaking of the feminine genius, right. intending to create an awareness of the giftedness of women instead of a certain sense of them as inferior to Correct. men, Correct. to say they're different and gifted differently. And I I sense that this type of you know comment from St. Nita Stein about the the connectedness body in all parts of her body to her soul is is a way of looking at a difference in kind of femininity versus masculinity in an overall way. Yeah, And we don't say that every woman experiences this and every man experiences that. Um, but I think of kind of a certain sense of a man almost having like an armor to him mm. almost necessary for some of the roles that he takes on in this right. fallen world right that wouldn't even be necessary if the world that's weren't right. fallen. That's right. Um, but that's
0: very insightful. Yeah.
1: But that that sense of almost needing to not always have the full sensitivity of that body soul connection in order to press through this fallen world and accomplish things that he's called on to accomplish doesn't mean he doesn't also need to, in times of reflection, in times of deep relating on a personal level, be able to enter into that. But I see it as kind of, if I keep saying this fallen world, it's because I, I you also brought that up. Like, we're looking at not necessarily what God intended, but where we are in this historical journey right. on our way to that heavenly place of, as you said, full integration.
0: Complete total reintegration. Never, ever forget it. Heaven is not some escape from the body. Mm -hmm. The separation of body and soul at death is entirely unnatural. Christ came so that we might have life and have it to the full. And for us as human beings, that always means the reintegration of body and soul. That's the destiny, the resurrection of the body. This is our faith. This is uh, in fact, the Catechism says this is the most controversial teaching of the Christian faith, mm. that we believe not only in some spiritual afterlife where the flesh is left behind, we believe in the resurrection of our bodies, yeah. and our, bo- our bodies are destined for glory. Mm. Thank you, Lord. St. Edith Stein, pray for us. Her, her actual name, or her saint name, is St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross.
1: The next question is from an anonymous listener. Uh, Gosh, I I thought it was a woman, but I'm not sure now. Okay. Um, I love your marriage and the way the two of you interact and look at each other. What steps have you both taken to have the marriage you have today? What did you do when you were really struggling individually or together? And what advice can you give to those of us trying to have holy marriages who are struggling with our own spouse? Maybe deep wounds from the past? They don't address. It's <laughs> <laughs> a, a good one. That's a
0: great one. <laughs> I'm sad because we don't have a lot of time left in the podcast to really give it uh, a thorough answer. I would I would invite this person, in, and this person is saying um, the way we look at each other. They've probably seen some of our YouTube videos. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of YouTube, I want to invite people to check out. Uh, a video on our YouTube channel. It's called Cry of the Heart, where Mm -hmm. I tell more in-depth part of our story and what we've struggled with. And if you want to get Wendy's perspective on that, you can check out the talk that she gave at our virtual conference last May. Mm -hmm. Those talks are still available. We'll put a link in the show notes to that as well. Wendy gives her side of that story as well. So, How? What have we done? What are some steps that can be taken? I want to go back to that recognition of our poverty. I came into our marriage 25 years ago with a lot of self-reliance and I was going to be the one who got it right. I saw the failures of a lot, a lot of husbands, how that caused women a lot, a lot of pain. And rightly so. That was a movement of the Holy Spirit for sure. I didn't want to go down that path. I mm-hmm. wanted to learn what it means to love my wife as Christ loves the church. And I, with some zeal and maybe some, uh, <laughs> some uh, naivete as to what it would take, not maybe, certainly plenty of naivete as to what it would take to live it out, I inscribed in your engagement ring, as Christ so I. And I, I was going to be the guy who did it. And I was quick to get out of the boat, you might say, like Peter. And I was quick to sink. And I had to learn over and over and over again. And I'm still learning over and over and over again. That whether it's in my marriage as a husband, whether it's in my fathering as a dad, whether it's in my, my teaching as a... Uh, in my ministry, in interacting with my students, in the work that I do. The truth of the matter is I don't have this great thing to give. I'd like to think I do. I'd like to think I have this wonderful thing to give you as your husband. But then again, there's that paradox when I realize my poverty as a husband then I'm beginning to be the husband I'm called to be. It's the whole hard-earned lesson that St. Paul talks about, when I'm weak, then Mm. I'm strong. We don't like that. (laughs) That's what we've rejected about our humanity in the fall. We don't like that we're not God. We don't like that we're called to be filled with the fullness of God. We want to lay hold of that fullness and claim we already have it, because our poverty scares us. I think one of the most important things to take steps in healing in a a married life, and I was about to say in a troubled marriage, but that immediately sets up a dichotomy.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. All marriages are troubled marriages. (laughs) All marriages are troubled to one degree or another, Because all marriages are made up of two fallen human beings, which means two troubled souls, Mm. right? When we say troubled soul, we might think of like the extreme case. We're all troubled. Maybe we don't have these extreme things, maybe, you know, fill in the blank as to what you might not have done. But please, please don't look at those who are super troubled and then give yourself some excuse to think you're not also troubled. Remember that time, Wendy? We were recording a live podcast, yes. and we we had a bunch of people on a Zoom call, and yep. they didn't know we could hear them. And yeah. what did what did the person oh, yeah. say?
1: Yeah, it was just people chatting, waiting for our podcast to start. And uh, one of the listeners said. From what I've read, they have a really troubled marriage.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and when I first heard that, yeah, part of my pride wants to say, "What is she talking about?" Well, no, well, no she's right. I mean, I have, we have written about our troubles. We have spoken publicly about our troubles, which is just to say, we have spoken publicly about our broken humanity. And anybody who isn't willing to speak publicly about their broken humanity in my book has no place being in ministry because you're you're setting up a scenario that can't possibly. It can't possibly be real. Mm. We are all broken. Mm-hmm. And the first step in coming to terms with with how to grow in health in marriage is to realize we're in need of health. <laughs> so what are your thoughts, love?
1: Yeah, I, I've been thinking about this question, uh, and I think one of the things that really captured our hearts in a, in a way was when we were reflecting early in our marriage on the idea that the husband and wife when they are become married, they are the ministers of their sacrament. Yes, yes. And I think what kind of captured my heart was the idea that of ministry of of being called in an ongoing way to minister to you, to bring God's goodness into your life in whatever way that you know is necessary at different stages of our life, um, and. Another concept was the of gift, of recognizing the honor and privilege it is to receive one another as a gift from God, the unrepeatable person, the unique light of God that shines in you, is in a particular way a gift to me. And I think a third thing that really has helped us is the understanding that you no one has to be perfect mm. in order to be loved. Mm. And I can remember different times where God had to remind me of that. Maybe, you know, where I had um finally gotten the courage to, you know, say something about a way that I was struggling in our relationship, then suddenly I'm very sensitive anytime that comes up again. Mm-hmm. You know, wait, didn't I tell you now aren't you going to be perfect cuz I told <laughs> you this is what I need you to do and Wendy,
0: I just need two more weeks. <laughs> But and then that, everything will be great.
1: But the Lord just will say to my heart, He doesn't have to be perfect in order for God to love him. So not in order for me to love you either. And I I know you experience that toward me all the time because I'm I don't love you perfectly, even in the ways you've revealed to me that it would be most helpful to you if I could do this instead of that. I I fail at those things, and yet you still you still have the grace to love me in my imperfection and my weakness. So those are some of the things I think have been just guiding principles for us in our marriage. The most important one, though, being what you said about knowing that we need the grace of God and allowing Him to love one another through us.
0: I would add this that, I mean, a short way to put it is that we all desperately need mercy, but to elaborate that oh, on that a little bit more, the Latin word misericordia for mercy means a heart that gives itself to those in misery. We cause one another pain because we're broken. Uh, every relationship will have pain. And learning to, to turn that pain into prayer, yes. learning to open that pain and not—if we the, the pain needs an outlet. If we just bury it, it's going to fester and come out in all kinds of crooked ways. The pain needs an outlet. If we aim the pain back at the person who caused the pain, then we're just creating more pain. And you're going to be in this feedback loop of pain. I cause you pain, you cause me yes. pain, you cause me pain, now I'm going to cause you pain now. I caused you pain, now you're going to cause me pain. Mm. And you. It's there's no end to it. Mm. The only end to that, that's hell, that's hell right there. Yeah. Endless, you cause me pain, I'm going to cause you pain. That is hell. The only way out of that hell is to take the pain and turn it into a prayer for the person who caused you the pain. Mm -hmm. And I invite everybody, I've said this before on the podcast, turn to that passage in the catechism, we'll put the exact paragraph number in the show notes, that talks about, this is during the Our Father reflection at the end of the catechism, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It says, it's not in our power not to feel the pain that other people cause us. It's not in our power. Uh, nor is it in our pa- power not, or to forget it. We, you know, forgive and forget is not real. We don't have the power to forget it. But if we open that pain to the Holy Spirit, the Catechism says, the Holy Spirit can transform the pain into compassion. I've experienced this from you, Wendy, and it has been the salvation of our troubled marriage.
1: I've experienced it from you.
0: Our troubled, our marriage is troubled because you're troubled and I'm troubled and we're troubled <laughs> because we're fallen human beings. Here comes
1: trouble. Here comes
0: trouble. <laughs> I have experienced from you, Wendy, you've taken the pain I've caused you and you've turned it into a prayer and it's become compassion. Why, how can we wind up at compassion for the people who cause us pain? Why? Why did they cause us pain? Because they're in pain. And now you realize, oh my gosh, the pain I feel that this person caused me, this person feels. That's the beginning of compassion. And I know it sucks, the pain I've caused you, Wendy. Uh, And you know I know it sucks, because you felt it. You have felt the pain I've caused you, and it sucks. And now you know the pain that I'm in, and you know how much the pain I'm in sucks. (laughs) And now there's communion in the suck. (laughs) But the suck is not just suck, the suck becomes prayer. Then it becomes communion and a suffering that is united with the sufferings of the Lord that become redemptive, and the Holy Spirit transforms the pain of the memory into prayer, into intercession for the person who caused you the pain. That's the catechism quote. We'll give you the the exact paragraph in the show notes. You can look it up. It's just It's been the salvation of our marriage following that path.
1: Yeah, and I would say also patience with one another, patience, like... God has a timing for each thing, and we, we don't just set out to, you know, correct every Yeah, long-term fault. view.
0: Long-term <laughs> right. view. That's right. Hope that's helpful to everybody. We're so happy to be answering your questions. We're delighted to do this for you guys. We hope it's a help. Uh, if it's been a help to you, let us know. We love to just get that encouragement. It keeps us fired up to keep doing what we're doing. Mm-hmm. If you've been blessed by anything we've shared today, please hit that share button and help us spread the word about this podcast. Our podcast continues to grow, and we want to reach as many, many people as possible. The way that happens, I know all the podcasts that I listen to, I listen to because somebody say, hey, you got to listen to this, and they send me a link. So right now, right now, click that share button. You know somebody who needs to hear what you heard today. Help us get the word out. And thank you again. Shout out to our patrons. We can't do this work without you. We love you guys. Thank you, everybody. And remember as we always say so important it's not just like our closing line oh here they go again with their closing line no 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 it's for reals you are an indispensable irreplaceable unrepeatable gift of life and love
1: become what you are
0: Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they're not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.